Let's take our Bibles and turn in them uh, to the book of 1 John. We're going to dive into the fourth chapter today. We're going to look at the first six verses in a message that I have uh, entitled Detecting Deceivers. And so with that, we're going to take our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father God, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, that uh, you are, are, are full of compassion, uh, that your forgiveness abounds, that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would just renew and refresh our hearts today as we just spend time uh, in the waters of your word. Just wash over us. Uh, instruct us, Lord. You have said that we're to uh, take your yoke upon us and we're to learn of you. And so we want to learn of you today. And so we say, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, amen. Amen. Listen, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God seals you, places within you, His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is His gift to you to seal and to strengthen you, to encourage and aid you in your walk with Jesus Christ until you stand before Him face to face. And this is what John was talking about when we last left off. If you want to look back at the last verse of the third chapter, you'll find these words, to keep his commandments is to abide in him that is in Christ, and he abides in us. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you belong to Jesus Listen, if you don't have the Spirit of God, then you don't belong to God. Paul says this very plainly in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. But there can be a bit of a conundrum, kind of a quandary of sorts that can confront the Christian, and that is this. The Holy Spirit is not the only spiritual influence in the world. There are many spiritual influences in the world, many of whom seek to masquerade as the Holy Spirit for the purpose of deception in an effort to lead people, including the child of God, astray. And Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, spoke to them of the fact that there would be false apostles, there would be deceitful workers who would seek to take on the appearance of apostles of Christ. And he said, and no wonder... For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. The principle that's being developed here is that there are spiritual influences at work in the world outside of the Holy Spirit who will seek to lead people away from the truth. Well, in our present passage, John wants to equip us to detect and to discern deceivers. Don't just assume that a spiritual experience or a word from the Spirit out of another individual's mouth must come from the Holy Spirit. Again, as Paul instructed the Thessalonians, test all things, hold fast what is good. And so with that, we turn our attention to the first verse of the fourth chapter where we read, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, underline it, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, underline it, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John says, look, 
Not everyone who comes to you with the word from God is necessarily speaking for God. And you need to stop listening to them like they are. This phrase, do not believe, is constructed in such a way in in the Greek language that forbids the continuation of an action that's already taking place. He says, stop believing every spirit as if it's divine because it may well be demonic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is fairly common for people to automatically assume that the demonic influence or activity will always manifest in some obviously evil, wicked way or destructive format. But that's simply not true. Now, I'm not saying that it's never true, but sometimes people gathering information with malintent from a balloon at 60,000 feet just wants you to think it's a benign, harmless weather balloon that just happened to drift into and across our entire nation. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just saying that it's oftentimes more effective to present yourself in a harmless, perhaps even somewhat positive fashion so that if left unchecked, you can deliver a tremendous amount of damage. Within this context, there are all kinds of people out there, including but not limited to pastors, teachers, and evangelists who claim to be speaking for God or or to have had some sort of spiritual experience by which they want to influence you. But not every word that's brought into a person's mind is from God. And not every spiritual experience is from the Holy Spirit. A good example of this would be in Jeremiah chapter 28. Listen, leave 1 John, turn to the left in your Bible, to Jeremiah chapter 28. We'll look at it together. You can leave your finger there in 1 John if you like. And I want to set the scene for you here as we enter into this section of Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 28. God had told Jeremiah that the kingdom of Judah, uh, and essentially every kingdom around them as well, was going to be brought into, given over to the kingdom of Babylon to serve Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah was told to make these yokes of wood and to make these bonds, and he was to send them to Judah and to the surrounding nations and kingdoms, and he was even to wear uh, one himself And it was to be like a visual reminder that God had put the nations under the yoke, under the control of the king of Babylon. And so as chapter 28 opens, another guy who claimed to be a prophet by the name of Hananiah enters into the equation. So let's look at it together, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 28 of the book of Jeremiah. And it happened in the same year. At the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year, in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azer, the prophet, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priest, and to all the people, saying... So you understand, this guy's a preacher's kid. You see that? He comes in, and he's got a word he, he wants to share with the, with the church, essentially, with the leaders. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts... 
the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And then... The prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Well, you get the idea, right? Hananiah comes on the scene claiming to have a word from God. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I've broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, you're all going to be back at your homes. You're going to be sipping sweet tea. You're going to be sunbathing. You're going to be loving life once again. And initially, Jeremiah's like, man, right on, buddy. I hope you're right. I hope that what you're saying comes to pass. But I need to remind all of you of something, and, and that is this. What I have told you did not originate with me. God has been warning you by the mouths of the prophets long before I came along. And now you have this guy, and he's saying something completely different. You'll know which of us is truly speaking for God by seeing what actually comes to pass. Now look at verse 10. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, I mean, this guy's dramatic, right? He's got a flair for the dramatic. I mean, man, he's really bringing it. He's not only saying the yoke's going to be broken, he takes it right off Jeremiah and he just breaks it in front of everyone and he's got another word. Well, let's check it out. Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And so Jeremiah says, Okay, whatever you say, man. I'm not going to fight with you about this. You've said what you've said. I've said what I have to say, and he leaves. Okay? Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke of the neck of the prophet Jeremiah saying, go and tell. So God turns him around. You see what happened? He says, no, we ain't leaving this like this. He says, go and tell Hananiah saying, thus says the Lord, you have broken yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve 
him. I have given him the beasts of the field. Also, in other words, it, he, he has it all. He's over, the, over it all. And then Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, quote unquote, here now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth, and this year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. And so Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Can I just tell you something? God is not a fan, does not take lightly when people say, thus says the Lord, when the Lord didn't say. But what John is emphasizing in our present passage, don't miss this, what John is emphasizing in our present passage isn't the accountability of the deceiver. Listen, it's the responsibility of the believer, every believer, to discern the truth. There is an accountability to the speaker, absolutely, but John's not emphasizing the accountability that's upon the deceiver. He's emphasizing the responsibility that's upon the believer to discern the truth. God makes clear again and again throughout his word that there will be people who seek to deceive you, that doctrines of demons will abound more and more and all the more in these last days to which we've been called. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, now the Spirit expressly says, obviously makes it known, you see, that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of what? Demons. We are not to receive something simply because it presents itself in, in ethereal, spiritual rhetoric or even appeals to what we want to believe is true. We're to run what we hear through, I just call it a grid of sorts. We're to run what we hear through a grid before we are willing to receive it and to respond to it. We're to, well, our word here is, is test. We're to test the spirits. We're to examine it, examine the word not critically or cynically, but carefully because we want to honor. Yes, it's our heart to honor the word of God. And so we're to just to be prayerful and careful about what we receive and how we respond. Does this make sense? But many false prophets have gone out into the world and Satan has an agenda. He wants to deceive and destroy your life. Jesus referred to these guys as wolves in sheep's clothing, Matthew chapter 7. And John is going to speak to that means by which we discern. But I, if it's all right with you, even if it's not all right, I'm going to do it. I don't know why I said that. Um, but what I would like to do is give to you a few additional tools that the Bible does give us along with what John shares with us uh, to aid you in discerning deception. Now, they all reside within the same kind of context, but I think we can parse them out 
give us a few different kind of angles to look at it from. Does this make sense? Okay. How can we know if, if a word, someone speaks a word, how do we know if this is from God? Well, one way to affirm a word, that a word is from God, is just to wait and see if it comes to pass. God told Moses, and this is what Jeremiah kind of reiterated there when he was speaking uh, to the leaders before him, that they would know which man was a true prophet by simply waiting and watching and seeing whose word comes to pass. If someone says, hey man, I've been praying, or they come to you, or whatever the case may be, and they say, you know, I really believe that God has given me a word for you, and this is what he's going to do for you. This is what he's going to set up, and and the way he's going to work through you, and this and that. And the thing that they say doesn't come to pass, well, listen, God didn't give them a word. You can reject it. But even if it comes to pass... That, in and of itself, is not enough necessarily to affirm a word as from God. The next thing we look at is what is the message of the person who gave the word? Does their message line up with the written, revealed word of God? In Deuteronomy chapter 13, God tells Moses that even if a sign or a wonder, you know, God's going to do this, you're going to know because this is going to happen. And that sign or that wonder comes to pass. He says, but then if the person proceeds to lead you in a direction that's contrary to the written word of God or after a God who isn't the revealed God of the Bible, then don't follow him. Ladies and gentlemen, the proof is not in the miracle. It's in the message. That's what God wants us to know. The, the proof is not in the, in the miracle. It's in, it's in the message. Isaiah said it this way. He said, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. We, you and me, we want to be in the habit of the Bereans. There they are in Acts chapter 17. It tells us they receive the word with all readiness. The prophets came, they would speak to them, they would share God's heart with them, and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Paul was there preaching to them, but they, you know, they weren't like you and me, they didn't all have just God's word at their disposal in written form, right? And so they would go to the temple, or they would go to the, uh, yeah, it would be the, temp, the, the um, uh, <laughs> synagogue, And they would have to bounce it off the scrolls that they had there, right? They would search the scriptures daily to find out if what Paul was preaching was actually true. They received the word readily. They just readily made sure it was the word of God. How? By measuring what they were hearing up against the written word. Guys, God will never contradict himself. Something else we might add is that there should be confirmation. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, that true prophecy is never of any private interpretation. What does that mean? Well, it would be more than likely that by the time someone comes to you with a word, that if it's from the Lord, God has already been speaking that to your heart, 
And now they're coming along, that's unbeknownst to them, but what they're saying is bearing witness in your heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, Or perhaps they share something, and it hasn't necessarily been something you've been thinking about, so you do like what we said earlier, you just kind of tuck it away, you're waiting, you're watching, you're seeing, and then someone somewhere else comes along, maybe don't even know the other person, whatever, they share the same kind of thing with you. And then we look to see if what they're saying and sharing is rooted in biblical principles. And if so, well, God, you have my attention on the matter. And sometimes that kind of thing happens even in a place like this, where maybe the Lord's been speaking to your heart and working on your heart, and you come here and you're listening to a Bible study, and all of a sudden it's like it's rolling out like someone's reading your mail, you know? And you're like, man, it's like this guy's talking right to me. Well, I don't know what's going on in your life, but God knows what's going on in your life. He's trying to assure you that he's trying to speak to you, and you you need to have ears to hear. And so we run the message through the grid of God's word. By the way, it's never a bad thing to evaluate and reevaluate what we believe in the same manner. Guys, sometimes as your knowledge of God's word grows, you'll discover uh, that what you've believed before Maybe it just wasn't like spot on. You know what I'm saying? And that's okay. We're not talking about matters of salvation. It's called growing. It's called maturing. Listen, we will probably never have everything exactly right this side of heaven. You understand that. We're doing our best. But man, we want to be open to God continuing his transforming work in our lives, by the renewing of our mind through the constant washing of the water by his word. And so we have these these tools that are readily at our disposal. They're there for us to use. They're in your Bible belt. I say bat belt, but that didn't seem appropriate, you know. But what else? What else is critical to discerning or detecting a true message, or let's say a true messenger from the Lord. Look at verse 2. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. So, number one, we're running the message through the grid of God's Word. We examine it to ensure that it's biblically based before we receive it. John wants to give us yet another tool to help us discern the spirit of truth from the spirit of error, and that is this. What is the person, the person who's preaching or proclaiming or giving you the Word, whatever the case may be, what is this person's position exactly on who is Jesus Christ. True prophecy, true teaching, will always present a true Jesus. This word confesses in verse 2. It's the Greek word homo legeo. Uh, It means to say the same thing. Homo the same, legeo or or logos. it's, It's that root, the word, the same word meaning the person who agrees with Scripture says the same thing about Jesus as does the Bible is of God. 
What's interesting about our text, I don't know if you picked up on the nuance of it. I, surely you did. But that what, what's interesting is that in John's day, it wasn't the deity of Christ that was in question. It was the humanity of Jesus that people wondered about. He was dealing with the sect known as the Gnostics who essentially claimed that everything material was innately and intrinsically evil. And therefore, Jesus couldn't have had a physical body. He couldn't have become a, a flesh and blood human being. I mean, God would never join himself or have any kind of partnership with this impure, evil, material-type substance. They taught that Jesus was a spirit and that he didn't leave footprints when he walked, and he just kind of was a, a manifestation of sorts. That's why, you remember when we started this book, in the very first verse of the very first chapter, that which was from the beginning, which our eyes have seen, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He's, John was saying he's physical. We've touched him. We've, we've handled him with our own hands. Remember, Jesus was like, touch me. Yeah, there he was, post-resurrection. He's like, feel me. I'm not a spirit. Today, 2,000 plus years removed, it's not the humanity of Jesus' people question. It's the deity. And so in his gospel, John deals with both. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's the deity. And in verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's the humanity. God became a man and dwelt among us. Fully God. Fully man. But the simple, plain principle behind what John is saying here is that a true man of God, a true message from God will present the truth about Jesus. Many of you know that a man by the name of Joseph Smith claimed a spiritual experience, had visions, was visited by angels according to his own testimony, but the message resulted the message that resulted from this encounter led him in a way that was contrary to Scripture. Today, his branch belief is known as the Mormons. They believe that Jesus is not the only begotten Son of God. Now, they'll use the term Son of God, but they believe that Jesus is actually Lucifer's brother. They have all kinds of beliefs that are completely contrary to Scripture. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is actually Michael the archangel. Christian science says that Jesus wasn't God. He was an emanation from God. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. Unitarianism teaches that Jesus is a great man, perhaps a prophet, maybe even supernatural, but not the son of God. Guys, the bottom line is that, is that if someone teaches that Jesus was anyone other than what Scripture states, they're not from God. Uh, they're of a different spirit, the spirit of error, which ultimately takes us back to the demonic, not the divine. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. 
to deny the true Jesus, according to Scripture, is the basis of the spirit of Antichrist. It's readily at work in the world today. Not only opposing the true Jesus, but offering a substitute Jesus. Listen to me. The devil doesn't care if you use the word Jesus. He doesn't care if you believe in a person named Jesus. He doesn't care if you pray to Jesus, as long as it's not the true Jesus. Listen, to believe in a false Jesus is to believe in a Jesus who isn't there. And a Jesus who isn't there can't save you. I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, I guess it bears repeating, that sometimes people can use the same words, but they have diff- different meanings. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, you know, there the Mormon is, they knock on your door, maybe the Jehovah's Witness, whatever, and you start this discourse, you start talking with them. And when you say, Son of God, what's happening in your heart and in your mind is you're thinking, well, the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, God wrapped in humanity, fully God, fully man. When a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness uses the term Son of God, they're not thinking that at all. And so sometimes we've got to get beyond the words and search out what is the meaning behind the words that you are using. Does this make sense? Now, in verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So, the spirit of Antichrist, which I guess I didn't read all of verse 3, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. You are of God, little children, because you have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So the spirit of Antichrist is at work in the world, but as a child of God, though you need the warning, you don't need to worry. Does this make sense? It's my phrase for the day, isn't it? Does this make sense? Christ dwells in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christ in you is greater, is stronger than he, that is Satan or any demonic entity who is in the world. Now, does that mean that you'll never struggle? Does that mean that you'll never stumble? No, it doesn't mean that. You, there, guys, there are battles we will lose, but the war is already won. You might just write it down. You can read it later. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. The power that lives in you is greater than any power or any pressure that surrounds you. It will not extinguish you. Does this make sense? (laughs) I find myself saying that. I want to stop it. All right. Verse 5. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. And he who knows God hears us. And he who is not of God does not hear us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the false prophet, preachers, teachers, are of the world. And they use language that resonates in the world and the world hears them. 
Now, as believers, we have a mandate, don't we, to reach the world, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We want to bring the message of the gospel to the world, and it's, it's thrilling when the world responds and receives the message. But we're not going to use the language of the world in trying to reach the world. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Guys, it is the uncompromising, unadulterated truth of God's word that ignites faith in the human heart. We are to be salt and light, open and honest about the truth of God's word. And he who knows God, John says, hears us. Jesus said that like this. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Deceivers will utilize worldly wisdom and rationale. Oftentimes, they appeal in carnal ways. Jude talks about this. You can read the book of Jude. The true man of God will depend upon and give to you the word of God. Now the us, he says here in verse 6, he who knows God hears us. Um, the us in view there is a specific reference to the apostles, okay? Specifically. The Roman Catholic Church laid claim to this and said that they were the official us that those who know God would hear. That is not an, an appropriate interpretation nor application of this verse. John is speaking ultimately, okay? Now, specifically when he's talking there, he's, they'll hear us. They'll hear the apostles. But ultimately, he's speaking of the authority of Scripture. He's essentially saying when we know God and are of God, we will hear what the Bible says. We will submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. He who is not of God does not hear us. In other words, you find someone who does not receive Scripture or has a position that's contrary to Scripture, they're not of God. It's, it's really that simple. Um, we're going to make our way toward a close here, but... The one who receives God's word, notice, is of the spirit of truth, and the one who rejects God's word is of the spirit of error. What do I want you to see here? Look, I want you to note that error has a spiritual dynamic to it. It's not about being educated. It's not about being smart, intellectualism and all of that. There are some incredibly intelligent, educated individuals out there who are radically influenced by the spirit of error. Truth has a spiritual dynamic as well. And to abide in the truth, we cling to Jesus Christ who himself said, I am the way and I am the truth. So guys, run what you hear through the grid of God's word. Does it meet the criteria of contextual support? What's the person's position on who Jesus is exactly? Do they receive and teach the authority of Scripture? These things will aid you in discerning and detecting deceivers.
And on top of all of that, God has given you His Holy Spirit. And He's begun a good work in you and He will complete it. He will guide you. He will grow you along the way. And you will be edified and He will be glorified. Amen. All right, let's bow our hearts. God, we thank you for your word. And that you have not left us to figure things out on our own. And we thank you, God, that you've given us practical resources to keep us moving forward in a manner that's well-pleasing to you. And I pray, God, that your word and your wisdom will be at work in our lives. God, that we would build up and bless and edify one another and glorify you. And we just pray, oh God, that you would pour your spirit out. Lord, that you would find in us hearts of repentance. That times of refreshing might come from your spirit. And so guys, while we're sitting here with our hearts bowed before the Lord... Just remember who Jesus is. He is the sinless Son of God who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Fully man, fully God, He gave His life for the sins of the world. He was delivered up to the cross for our transgression. He was raised up for our justification. And to believe on Him is salvation. So I just encourage you that if you don't know the Lord, that before you leave here today, you would surrender your heart to the Lord. Just believe upon Him. Just cry out to Him. And just say, Lord, here I am. And I know, God, I know where I've been and what I've done. Lord, I'm asking you to do what you came to do. Lord, that you would save me. Forgive me of my sin. And may your home be established in my heart. Just fill me with your spirit, God. Have your way in me. I promise you that if you pray a prayer like unto that, you cry out to God, you believe upon the Lord, He's going to hear you. He's going to respond to you. And salvation will visit you. Father, we just uh, submit our hearts to you once again, Lord. And I pray for every heart that's here, or maybe that's listening online, that, uh, Lord, you would strengthen us. God, if we have drifted or somehow walked in a way that's contrary to what your plan, what your purpose is for our lives, Father, that our hearts would turn back to you even now. We're calling upon you. We're crying out to you. We're saying, Lord, just please pour out your spirit and be glorified in us. For we ask it in Jesus' name.